Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. Well, howdy. Welcome to uh, week number two of the four-week series on spiritual gifts. Let me just tell you, if you didn't get a copy on the way in, there's a free study guide to help you learn all that we are studying. Or if you're watching online, just go to realfaith.com. You can download it for free. Here's the big idea. The Bible in the New Testament talks about three different categories of unique abilities and capacities that God gives to his children. One category are serving gifts. And so that's where you use your hands and you do deeds. For some, it's speaking gifts. You use your words and you minister through communication. And then there are supernatural or sign gifts. And we'll get into those at the end. Those are the most debatable. What we're dealing with today, however, are the serving gifts. We're gonna look at seven of them. And I want to help you figure out your divine design. How did God make you, your personality, your spiritual gifts, your experiences, your education, your job training, all that makes you, you, and then find your position on team Jesus. And my hope and prayer in this series as well is, not only do you get to understand yourself, oh, this is how I am. If you are married, understand your spouse. Oh, they're different than me and God made them this way. Also, if you've got kids, if you've got more than one kid, you'll find out that your kids are different. And what happens then is you can start to figure, okay, that's how this kid is. This is how this kid is. How do we nourish and encourage their gifts and talents and abilities? Some of you are students. You're trying to figure out what degree should I study in college? Or once I graduate, what would be a good career path for me? These are some indicators, your spiritual gifts that have all of this information embedded in it to help you figure out what the good forward plan and path is for you. And I'll start by saying what's interesting is, uh, I still remember when I was a little kid in school, one of the most amazing things I learned when I was really little, a teacher got up one day and they showed us a huge number of colors, all the colors of the rainbow. And they said, do you know what makes these colors? Like, I have no idea. I'm in kindergarten, I'm still eating paste. I don't know a lot. That's why I'm here in school to learn some stuff. They said it all starts with three primary colors. And so uh, this is red, yellow, and blue. And the teacher said out of these three primary colors, depending upon the combinations, you can make millions of colors. It's kind of like that with your divine design your gifts and your degrees of gifting and ability and talents, it all comes together to give you a particular color and shape and hue for life and for ministry. So what we're gonna deal with today are the seven serving gifts. And uh, we're gonna start and we'll go right through them fairly quickly. And I can't cover everything, but all the details are in the study guide. The first one is mercy. If you were most talkable in high school, this is probably you. You'll find this in Romans chapter 12, verse eight. Mercy is the capacity to feel. If I lost you right there at that word feel, you do not have the gift of mercy, okay? (laughs) You're like, oh, feeling so good night. Okay, that's not you. <laughs> You're probably a prophet. You just rebuke people and don't care about their feelings. Mercy is the capacity to feel and express unusual compassion, empathy, sympathy for those who are in difficult or crisis situations and provide them with the necessary help and support to see them through tough times. People with the gift of mercy and people who are hurting, struggling, broken and overwhelmed, they often find one another so that loneliness can be reduced, a hurt can be healed, and a person at the end of their rope gets a knot to hang on to. We've, we've all had moments, seasons, days where we just don't feel like you can go anymore. You're just kind of overwhelmed, exhausted, frustrated. And what happens is most of the time people walk away, right? Like, how are you doing? You're like, I'm doing terrible. They're like, oh, okay, best of luck with that. That's not the gift of mercy. The person with the gift of mercy is like, oh, you're having a bad day. How can I help? I'm here to serve. And they approach you when people are walking away from me because they wanna give to you things that you don't have for yourself. Looking at Jesus' ministry, Jesus taught a lot on mercy. One of the greatest, most famous stories in the history of the world is the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's a guy who's hurting and everybody walks by him. And then one guy stops and says, I'm here to help, gift of mercy. Thousands of years later, even non-Christians all over the globe will refer to mercy as being a good Samaritan. Jesus, he had a lot of mercy on people. In fact, the only way you can become a Christian is if he has mercy on you. Uh, The shortest verse in the New Testament says that Jesus wept. He had emotional compassion and empathy at the death of his friend. The Bible talks a lot about Jesus' emotional life, but the emotion that's mentioned more than any other is compassion. And if you know Jesus, there's gonna be a day 
or there's gonna be a lot of days when we really need his compassion. We've blown it, we've made a mistake, we've created problems and pains and perils and we come to him and he's like, I have mercy, I have compassion, I forgive you. I'm not gonna rub your nose in it. I'm gonna help you get through it. This is why we love Jesus so much. He also was very compassionate toward women and children. And in his day, religious leaders tended to avoid women and children. But Jesus has a lot of compassion on women and children. One of the most famous stories of Jesus with a woman was a Samaritan woman. She's in a cult, they're a rejected people group. She's been married and divorced a bunch of times. She's living with some guy she's not even married to. All the women get up early in the day, they go to the well to draw the water and get their gal time. She has to come in the heat of the midday sun in the afternoon because nobody wants to see her. She's the rejected outcast. And Jesus comes from heaven to earth. And then he walks all the way through into Samaria to sit down and give her mercy. He converses with her, he is kind to her, he forgives her, he saves her and changes her life. Jesus is also very compassionate with children. In that day, religious leaders, especially single men, tended to avoid children, not Jesus. Children loved Jesus and Jesus loved children. Our youngest daughter, her favorite story in the Bible was the raising of Jairus's daughter. So the story is there's this good dad who's got this little girl who's on her deathbed. And so Jesus comes to the little girl's side to heal her. It's the healing of Jairus's daughter. And literally about every week for, or every night for a year, I would read a story to my daughter and be like, okay, bedtime. She's like, oh, we got to read the raising of Jairus's daughter. I was like, you know how this ends. I mean, we've read this 360 nights in a row. We know exactly. But for her, she loved to hear the story. And she used to say all the time, she said, daddy, could he have healed her from a distance? I said, yeah. And she said, that means he came to her bedside just because he wanted her to see how much he loved her. And what it, here's what it shows you. Even when you're reading the Bible to your kids, sometimes our favorite Bible stories or their favorite Bible stories are connected to their spiritual gifts or our spiritual gifts. My daughter has gift of mercy So she loves the mercy stories and every night I gotta read her favorite mercy story. Sometimes you can find your gifts by figuring out what are the stories in the Bible that mean the most to you? And same is true for your spouse and or your kids if you're married or a parent. And Jesus would practice ministry of presence. So the gift of mercy sometimes comes with just the ministry of presence. There are times where you can't fix it. As men, we're not good at this. How many of you are husbands, right? Your wife tells you a problem, you're like, I'll fix it. Your wife's like, no, I just need you to. Listen, you're like, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't have that spiritual gift. I don't. We like to, but there are times where you can't fix it. You can't, you can't do anything. There are other times you can't explain it. You're like, why did that happen? I, I don't know. But you can just be present. And so Jesus is often present. He sits with people. He meets with people. He's available oftentimes to people. That's part of mercy is the ministry of presence. Now, when it comes to the spiritual gifts, I want you to know that every gift has a potential shadow side. So how many of you, this sounds like you or someone you know, someone you know, here's the shadow side. You need to make sure that your compassion and your mercy and your empathy also does its homework so you're not just taking bad information and rushing to erroneous conclusions. Proverbs says, one person seems right till you hear the other side of the story. If you're a parent, you know what this is like. Usually the first kid to come and tell you what happened is the criminal. Uh, And then once the victim shows up, you get the full police report on your child. And so what can happen is if you have the gift of mercy, you immediately empathize and sympathize, but you need to make sure that you get the entirety of the story. In addition, sometimes you can be so hurting with the person that you're not helpful for the person, meaning sometimes the pains we have are because of the decisions we make reap and sow. And you can't just say, I'm so sorry, let me just cry with you, let me just sit with you. We need to also lovingly say, what are some of the decisions you've made that contributed to this so that in the future, you can make wiser decisions and not repeat the pattern. And so sometimes people who have the gift of mercy, if they don't have also wisdom, they turn into the complaint department, they turn into the enablers, they turn into the codependent people. God will give you a gift, but you need to use it wisely. Now, historically, and what I wanna do throughout our time together in this series is I wanna look at some of these gifts historically. And if some of these people strike you as curious, these might be good biographies to read and people to learn from. So there was a woman named Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary uh, to India. 
She had great compassion for particularly children. And in that culture, it was a caste system. And so if you were at the lower caste, you, you really were an outcast, you were rejected. There was no mercy for you or compassion for you. There was no grace for you or help for you. You were just sort of discarded and you were not treated as a full human being. And the thought was that you did something bad in your past life that created karmic debt. And so we need you to suffer to pay back your karmic debt. And if we have mercy or compassion toward you, we are interrupting your karmic cycle. So people are hurting and we're doing nothing in the name of our religion, which is demonic. She comes along and she sees these little girls called child widows. They were literally temple prostitutes abused. And what she decided was this needs to end. God made them, God loves them. They are not outcasts, they are welcomed by our heavenly father. And she started a ministry of rescuing these girls from this kind of trafficking and abuse. She told them that God was their father, that they were adopted, that they had full rights as the children of God. She gave them their dignity and freedom back. She taught them about the love and the cleansing of Jesus. And she had a massive ministry that elevated the status, particularly of young girls in India. And she said that God was the God who had mercy for all. And then some years later, there was a woman named Mother Teresa who came along and sort of continued that same legacy, but it started with Amy Carmichael. That's where that ideology began. The next gift is hospitality. In Romans 12, 13, hospitality is the ability to welcome strangers, entertain guests, find chicken wings, make nachos, all that's in the Greek text, trust me, I'm an expert, often in your home with great joy and kindness so that they become friends. Hospitality is to include one's family, friends, Christians, and strangers who may not be Christians. So for those of you that have the gift of hospitality, oftentimes this comes with cooking, event planning, right? Interior design. You're the HGTV network folk, you're it. You're the cooking channel people. You're like, oh, rewind that baking show again. You're the people who love to plan the parties. You love to throw the events. You are the, hey, everybody get together for the group photo people. You're those people. You like bringing people together. You like throwing events. You like making memories. You love seeing people meet. Okay, let's invite them and them, and then they'll meet, and then they'll get married, and then we'll take credit. Okay, that's you. You love introducing people. And now with this as well, this includes your home. So when you think of your home, you think of it differently than most people. Most people, when they think of their home, all they think of is, this is my house, what do I need? People with a gift of hospitality, they're thinking, how could we throw parties and events here? Is there enough parking? Is it an open concept? Do we have a large kitchen? How big is our dining area? How can we entertain? Do we have good outdoor space? When the kids come over, do we have a fence around the pool so that you know they're safe? You're thinking through all the details for guests. Okay, how many of you, you don't have the gift of hospitality? You're like, yeah, whatever, this is my house. Okay, you don't have the gift of hospitality. But what oftentimes happens is two people get married and maybe one has the gift of hospitality and the other doesn't. Now you gotta decide what kind of home you're gonna buy. And you need to consider your spouse's gifts. And so there are three kinds of homes. There are closed homes, there are random homes, and there are open homes. Closed homes, how many of you grew up in a closed home? And this is dinners at six, bedtimes at 9.25, not 9.26. Um, Family movie night is on Friday. And if you want somebody to spend the night, you need to fill out a form a year in advance, okay? You gotta, this, it's very, it's all buttoned up, put together, right? Your dad was an engineer, your mom was an accountant and you're miserable. That's your home, okay? That's your home, okay? And if somebody comes over, it's a big deal. If your friends are coming over, big deal. If somebody's gonna stay the night, big deal. We're having people over for the holidays, big deal. Because that was unusual. Random home, complete opposite. Doors unlocked, people are coming, going. There's no bedtime, there's no set schedule. Kids don't even check in. Hey, where's Tony? I don't know, he, he's out tonight, but he's seven. Yeah, whatever, you know, um, he'll figure it out, you know? And so in a random home, it's, there's, no, there's no set dinner time. Everybody just kind of warms up the hot pocket and sits by the TV whenever they feel like it. The most random home I saw, nobody even had their own bed. You, you just grabbed a bed. And then the last person had to sleep on the couch because they were one bed short. That family did not have the gift of administration. I'm just telling you that right now. 
an open home is somewhere in the middle. People can come over, but they need to let you know. We do have guests, but that's kind of gonna get run by mom and dad. There is a dinner time, but it's fairly flexible. When Grace and I first got married, we did college ministry to a bunch of college kids who were totally 100% random. <laughs> They're knocking on our door, literally one night, knock on the door, that's the door. Dude's like, what are you guys doing? I was like, plotting your murder. It's like 1130, <laughs> I'm married, you're single, you got nothing to do. I have things I'd rather be doing than talking to you on my doorstep. College kids have no boundary and no clue. And so, what I, so we, we had people coming and going in our house. We had a few thousand people in our home a year for Bible studies and meetings and prayer and we're feeding them and dealing with them. So finally I'm like, I wanna do closed home. <laughs> I overreacted. We're gonna lock the door, we're gonna move, we're going in the witness protection program. We are getting a dog, I'm gonna get a taser and anybody who knocks, I'm tasing them. You know, that's just what we're doing. So Grace and I, but she had gift of hospitality. I have gift of not hospitality. <laughs> like, you know, like if I was on a desert island, but Grace came, I'd be fine. Like, I'm good. That's all I need. All my people are here. And the kids could visit. I do love you kids. So, <laughs> but she likes a lot of people around. So we had to figure out as a married couple, okay, what kind of house do we buy? How do we entertain? How do we schedule this? How do we do hospitality together? You gotta respect your spouse. Well, Jesus had meals with his disciples, holidays with his disciples. He went to parties. They said he was a drunkard, a glutton, and a friend of sinners. He wasn't. He just enjoyed hanging out with people. He also had Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who were his near and dear friends, and they really ministered to him through hospitality. He often stays at their home, and they feed him and minister to him. And so they're like extended family. And the whole picture of heaven is that it's hospitality. It's a party that God throws at his house forever. And it's free and it's awesome. And so the reason that we throw big parties at church is because we wanna practice for heaven. Our next big one will be for our fifth birthday, September 12th and 13th. Well, how about you? Do you have this gift? And, and if your spouse has it, you need to consider it. Because like, if one of you is cheap and one of you has the gift of hospitality, you're gonna have to negotiate over the food budget. If one of you is like, we don't need a big dining room. The other is, we do, or that we need a divorce attorney. You gotta, you gotta discuss this stuff. You gotta figure out how to accommodate one another. Do you have this gift? Do you like having people in your home? Right? Some of you don't, you're like, nope. That's okay, then, then you, need to, you need to open up your home. Do you enjoy watching people meet and, at parties and events and fun things that you plan and host? Do you, is your home set up for guests? Or you like, well, we need more seating. We need, we need Grace and I got married. I don't even know how many, it was, I was, she's like, well, we need like 127 place settings. I was like, are we not doing dishes? Or are we like, are we gonna eat them and throw them away? Like, I don't know what we're doing. She's like, no, no, for parties. I was like, I, we don't know that many people. She's like, we will. I was like, oh gosh. Okay, so. But if you're a hospitality person, you think through this stuff. If you're a single guy, you're like, I got a spork and a plate. Done. I mean, I, I, what else do you need? <laughs> and do you plan and go all in for parties, events, and holidays? Are you the event planner? You're like, oh, just vacation, let me do this. Christmas, I got this. I'm gonna dress up like an elf, right? I'm gonna show up on a sleigh. I'm gonna find a reindeer. It's gonna be awesome. You're those people that love to plan the crazy fun events. Now, the shadow side can be, be careful that you have discernment. So in addition to hospitality, you need discernment because you don't want everybody in your home. What if they're dangerous? What if they're gonna hurt you or your kids? So you gotta be discerning, gotta be discerning. But illustrated historically, this is one of my favorite couples. There's a couple named Edith and Francis Schaefer. During the tumultuous 1960s and 70s, the counterculture, the false trinity of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whole generation of hippies are just sort of high and wandering around and just trying to find themselves and find God. And they weren't gonna go to church and deal with traditional sort of Christian church and ministry. So Edith and Francis Schaefer in the Swiss Alps, they opened something called Labrie, which means shelter and they work together. And this is a good example of bringing spiritual gifts together in a family and in a ministry together as a couple. So she had gift of hospitality. She actually wrote a book called The Hidden Art of Homemaking. So she would set up bedding and centerpieces for the table and cookies and food and artwork and decor and vegetable growing gardens. And she architected this beautiful environment of hospitality. He had gift of evangelism and teaching. 
So these hippie kids would find their way to their house. Upwards of a hundred hippie kids at a time would live with them. She would care for them. He would teach them. Many of them got saved and met Jesus. And the secret they say was not just his ability to teach and evangelize, but her ability to create an environment where people were loved and they wanted to be there long enough to have conversations about Jesus. And so they found a way to do life and ministry together. How about this one, discernment? If you're sitting there right now judging me, this may be your gift. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. I think he's, I think he's dangerous. D discernment is the ability to quickly perceive whether such things as people, events, or beliefs are from God or Satan. You're like, that's God, that's Satan. That's true, that's false. That's right, that's wrong, right? That, that, that honors God, that doesn't honor God. That's gonna work out, that, that's gonna be a problem. How many of you, you've, you, the Holy Spirit lives in your gut and you just, you just tend to be very discerning. You can discern very, very quickly. Now, the, uh, the way we see this in Jesus' ministry, it says in uh, John chapter two, Jesus didn't trust people because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew it was in each person's heart. So people would come up to Jesus and he could read their motives. Oh, you're a flatterer. You're just trying to butter me up, but you're not really sincere. You have an agenda here. You're picking a fight with me. Jesus trusted some people, but not all people because he knew what was in all people. So discernment is the counter to being naive, which means you're, you're in danger. Gullible people, naive people, they live in harm's way. Discerning people say, okay, trust them, not them, listen to them, not them, hang out with them, not them, date them, not them, marry them, not them. And this is why you gotta bring discerning people into your life because we're all blind to our own blind spots. Now, the warning is some of you have the gift of discernment but if you are unhealed, you're broken, you're jaded, you can become critical. You can become a critic. You can become one who's always telling everyone what's wrong, but never helping them figure out how to make it right. You can be the one who just sort of sits back and points out the errors in everyone else without doing anything yourself. That sometimes the most independent, insubordinate, difficult people think they have the gift of discernment, there's a brokenness about them, so they're not exercising it in the most healthy way. And the way that people that are broken and have the gift of discernment justified is they have two categories, perfect and disqualified. So they just wait for you to say or do something wrong and then they shoot you and they're like, yeah, that's why I don't listen to you and I don't trust you because you're not perfect. It's like, well, none of us are. <laughs> but what's interesting is once you're healthy, you use the gift of discernment, not just for others, but for yourself. Not, okay, where are you wrong? Where am I wrong? Because I'm not always right. So there's a healthy and an unhealthy application of the gift of discernment. How many of you, this sounds like you? Maybe you're like the jaded part? I don't know if I raised my hand. All right, okay, fine. Do you have this gift or does someone you know? My, my wife, Grace, does. Uh, our kids do. And sometimes the longer you're in ministry or the more life experiences you have, like anything, you just sort of grow in that gift but do you have a solid understanding of scripture and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? Because if you have the gift of discernment, you don't need a reason, you just need a caution from the Spirit. And it doesn't mean that you rush to a conclusion about someone, but you wait to see what the facts bear out. In addition, can you read a book or hear a teacher and almost immediately undercover false teaching? Some of you are like drug dogs at the airport. You're like, Plagian, semi-Plagian, universalist. Job's witness. I mean, you just, you just, you just, you can, you just have it, man. Like you just do. I'm making it up as I go. So um, I'll be honest. This is one of my gifts. Okay. But I got to be very careful with it. Cause I could be the guy with the critical eye. I could find out everything that's wrong. I'll give you an example. I was talking to Grace about it this week. She's like, like, give me an example. So I, so C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, one of the greatest books written in history, one of the best selling Christian books of all time. First time I read it, I thought he missed the resurrection. <laughs> Rot row, it's a thing. I mean, it, it, we need, I, and he does believe in it, but he forgot it. It sold millions of copies. And I'm like, uh, is Jesus alive? It's a, you know, like it's a, <laughs> we got, we got to nail this down, kids. It's a big deal. Now, the problem is if you're always looking for what's wrong, you won't see what's right. And if you're always seeing for where they're wrong, you'll never see where they're right and you'll never see where you're wrong. 
So if you have the gift of discernment, we need to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. How many of you are, have a deep awareness of demonic presence? You're like, something's dark here. So this is not the Lord. I don't sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And or you can help people be delivered from demonic oppression. You, even when people are like, I'm struggling, I'm depressed, I don't know what's going on. You're like, well, that's not conviction, that's condemnation. See, God gives you conviction, Satan gives you condemnation. If you just feel really bad, but you don't know why, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's an unholy spirit. The truth will set you free. There's no now condemnation for those who are in Christ. And those are the people with the gift of discernment, like, yeah, that's not what it says. And sometimes people have even had bad Bible teaching. That's not very biblical. And so they're, they're living out of their teaching and the person with the gift of discernment says, actually, that's not what the Bible says. Oh, really? Well, I was told that's what it says. Well, it's not. That's in first and second opinions. That, that, that's not in the Bible. They made that up. You, they made that up. The people with the gift of discernment, they can help us figure out the truth, who God is and what God's will is. How many of you just have a gut feeling about people? You're just like, I don't know, something off there. Spidey senses tingling. Now you may be right or wrong, but you need to not ignore or suppress that because you could be quenching or resisting the Holy Spirit. You just need to give it some time and see what the facts might be. And when people are confused about a doctrine or a leader or a teacher, do they tend to find you and say, man, I'm confused. What do you think? You may have the gift of discernment. They're like, I'm confused. Could you help provide clarity? Uh, let me give you a historical example. Uh, one of my favorites, a man named Martin Luther. He is one of the leaders of what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. He had the gift of discernment. He was a, trained as an attorney and then he became a Catholic monk and he was um, taking vows of celibacy and poverty and he was living um, just a really painful life, trying to pay God back for his sin through sort of hurting himself physically. He didn't know that Jesus already suffered so he didn't need to. And then he comes to this understanding as a theological professor that we're not saved by our works, but by Jesus' works. And he comes to the conclusion of something called justification by faith that we just unpacked in great detail in the book of Romans. And he, he has discernment. He's like, no, 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 no. It's not Jesus plus works and tradition. It's just Jesus plus nothing. Because Jesus plus anything ruins everything. It's just Jesus. So he has theological discernment. So then he starts writing and teaching. Well, now he gets lots of demonic opposition. People are threatening his life. Literally, when he is at a place called the Wartburg Castle in Germany, Grace and I toured there a few years ago, he was hiding out under threat of death, translating the Bible from the ancient languages to the current language of the German people. And the devil literally showed up behind a locked door in the room he was in. I mean, Satan showed up. He freaked out, grabbed an inkwell and threw it at him. Uh, which <laughs> it's like, yeah, should have been in Arizona. You know what I mean? Like that. So uh, threw an, that's all he had. So he threw an inkwell at him. And then he goes on in his book. He has a magazine called Table Talk. And he writes more about Satan and demons than prayer and the Bible. He talks about Satan and demons all the time. He writes a book, he writes a, a song rather, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. And he talks about the world that's filled with devils or demons. He was very aware of God is at work and so is Satan. Furthermore, his wife had the spiritual gift of discernment, Catherine. Here's a crazy story. She was a nun in a convent. She read a little treatise that he wrote called On Monastic Vows, saying that you don't need to be celibate and single and chaste to serve the Lord. And so somehow this little trek got into the monastery and the nuns are like, get us out. So they sent him a, they sent him a letter. They're like, get us out. So Martin Luther organized, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but we've got nothing else to do. So uh, maybe it's because I lack discernment, but I'll, I'll just tell you the story. So what happens is they put barrels in the back of a wagon and then they go into the convent on Easter and they smuggle the nuns out in the barrels. So all the nuns then get married, except for Catherine. Nobody wants to marry Catherine. She's, she's a, she's a, she's a, so anyways, nobody wants to marry. <laughs> Holy Spirit's like, son. <laughs> okay, thank you, Father. So um, what happens is nobody wants to marry Catherine. So Catherine goes to Martin Luther and she's like, you said you'd jailbreak us. When you're a monk jailbreaking a nun on Easter, that's next level right there. That's what that is. <laughs> So they jailbreak the nuns and Catherine is very bold. She goes to him and she says, if nobody's gonna marry me, you jailbreak me, you need to marry me. Yeah. Okay, found all the single gals in the room. They're like, yeah, okay. All the single guys are like, no, okay. So, <laughs> so 
he got her set up to be married and then the guy backed out. He's like, I'm out. So then Luther had to marry her. His friends threw a funeral, they were devastated. He married her. They asked him, why did you marry her? Least romantic answer in the history of the world. He said, to smite the devil. <laughs> so dad, tell us about mom. How'd you guys fall? Well, we, we decided to smite the devil one Easter. <laughs> Been together ever since. So, so then she gets pregnant. And one of the German folklores was that the antichrist would come from the illicit union of a monk and a nun. So now they're like, here comes Chucky, you know, <laughs> here comes Chucky. What ended up happening though, they ended up building a really great, loving, healthy marriage. She was a theological genius, sat with him when he wrote a lot of his theological work and letters, and she had the gift of discernment. And there were multiple occasions that God gave her prophetic dreams and visions that proved to be true and to save his life. So there's one occasion, she goes to bed. He was supposed to go out, speak, and she woke up in the middle of the night. She's like, God gave me a prophetic dream. I saw you on the road. Men were waiting to murder you. It's all a setup. You can't go, trust me. He said, I trust you. It's not good to be alone. A prudent wife is from the Lord. So he didn't go, it was true. She saved his life because of her spiritual gift of discernment. How about this one? Helps or service. Uh, Romans 12, seven and 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Helps or service. Some of your Bibles will say helps, others will say service. It's the same thing. You either help through serving, you serve through helping, is the ability to joyfully. And this is the difference. People do work, but only people with the gifts of helps and service do so joyfully. If you're an employee, you know what the non-joyful worker looks like. Joyfully alongside others to help them complete the task that God has given them. People with this gift generally prefer to work behind the scenes. Don't put me up front, just give me something to do. They also tend to find joy in helping alleviate the burdens and responsibilities of others. This gift is usually accompanied with an attitude of humility and sacrifice, as well as the ability to perceive the needs of others. This is helps or service. Now, when we look at it in Jesus' ministry, his whole ministry is servant. The greatest leader in the history of the world is the servant of the entire world. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to, I came to serve. They come to Jesus one day, they have an argument. They're like, which one of us will be the greatest in heaven? I'm thinking the guy with the virgin mother is probably the first round draft pick, but these guys didn't see it. They're wondering which one of them is going to be the greatest in heaven. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them, he redirects them. He says, oh, you wanna be the greatest? They're like, we do. He's like, then be the servant of all. Philippians 2 says that our attitude should be the same as Jesus who humbled himself to serve us. So, and then Jesus, one day, it's crazy. They go into a house. They've been walking on the Roman roads. Their feet are just covered in filth. And the lowest servant in the house is supposed to clean the feet of the guests. And they don't, they're too proud. So Jesus gets down and he cleans everybody's feet, including Judas who would betray him. Jesus serves and he still does. And so ultimately Jesus' whole life is one of service. Do you have this gift? Do you say things like, how can I help you? See, if you don't have the gift, you're like, yeah, I never even thought about asking that. <laughs> how can you help me? Is that, 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 that you have the gift of being served, okay? Or what do you need me to do? There are certain people that show up, they're like, well, what do you like to do? They're like, I don't care. What do you need me to do? Gift of helps or service. Well, what, what energy, I don't care. Just tell me what you need. I'm just here to help. And let me just say this, we could use more of these people. Have you tried customer service recently? You're like, oh my gosh, recently, oh my gosh. This spiritual gift, I, some people will say that spiritual gifts have ceased. I don't think they have, but if one has, it's service. Uh, no, the service industry's over. I, I waited on the line the other day for 30 minutes. So I was like, we'll be right back. Uh, you just violated one of the 10 commandments, you're a liar. And then I wait 30 minutes and then they come back. They're like, they hung up. So I call them back. They're like, you calling again? Yeah. They're like, we already hung up on you. I was like, I know. I just need some help. They're like, no, go to the website. Like, Website's down. We live in a world where people have just found a way. And I'm just, this isn't in my notes. This is a little venting, but <laughs> COVID is the excuse for no one to serve ever again. That's just what it is, right? Yeah. 
people that have this gift, they, they like to be behind the scenes. They're like, I don't need any attention. I don't need to be out front like Pastor Mark, you know, making a big deal of myself, like that proud, arrogant guy with the thick neck and the <laughs> lovely beard. I don't need to be like that. I, I like being behind the scenes. When people do a job poorly, here's the key test of whether or not you have the gift of helps and service. If somebody's doing a bad job, is your first thought to criticize or help? <laughs> What do you think mine is? <laughs> what? That was not a joke. I am, oh jeez, this is very, you guys, we're gonna go back to the gift of mercy again. You guys don't knock it off. <laughs> when you see something and you're like, hey, they stink at that, we need to tell them, or it's, you know what, they're struggling with that, we need to help them. That's the gifts of helps or service. Uh, do you not much care what your role is as long as you're just doing something that's right and good? And when people are like, I'm not gonna do that because it's a lowly task, you're like, doesn't bother me, I'll do it. I'll change the kid's diaper, I'll pick up the trash, I'll run the errand, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. Like, I, I worship Jesus, he's a servant. Serving isn't a thing for me. Now here's a warning for those of you that have the gift of helps or service. You need to learn a very powerful word called Oh, you've heard of this, <laughs> you've heard of this. Because here's what people do. They just keep asking the people with gifts of helps and service, hey, do you wanna help? And they're like, yes, I do. You are a finite human being. You need to say no to something so you can say yes to God's things. And sometimes you get overextended, burned out, overwhelmed. You just got too much going on. You need to say no, just say no. And it's not that I don't love you, it's that I, I can only do so much. And what I would say is keep your priorities in order, right? If you're married, first help your spouse. You got kids, first help your kids, then help somebody else and their kids. Fine to help them. But if your family is struggling and their family is flourishing, you may be serving, but your priorities are inverted. Historically, I'm gonna give you another one of my favorite couples uh, some years ago, I would take a husband, Grace would take the wife and read, read their biographies of some famous Christian ministry couples and then we'd share. So one of my favorites is a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was a Bible teacher in London. Um, he was a country bumpkin. His grandpa was a pastor. He was not formally educated, but he was tremendously anointed. And uh, he was a fairly homely guy. So he grew a beard to hide his face is what he said, but he had a great voice. And it's just a weird story. He, uh, he would always smoke a cigar on the way to preach his sermon. He felt like it made his voice sound better. And so just, just a tidbit, you're welcome. So um, what happened with Spurgeon, he became a senior pastor in London very, at a very young age um, and his fame skyrocketed. And so, People were flocking to hear him. They couldn't even fit into the church. So they, they created an event and something called the Surrey Music Hall. And it was packed with people to hear this sort of anointed young Bible teacher. And some of his critics thought, well, we need to disperse the crowd. So they got up and yelled fire. To end his event, he came out to see that people actually believed there was a fire and there was a mass hysteria and people got trampled underfoot and died. This sent him into a lifelong battle with depression. The thought that people would come to hear him preach the Bible and that his critics would seek to empty the room and that ultimately people who came to learn from him would die, it just devastated him. In addition, he had some medical problems. They, some would say that he had gout. I think he probably had something called Bright's disease. Grace and I, we've studied them a lot. I went to London, I went to their house and I went to their graveside where he's buried with his wife and the college has been relocated and tried to do a lot of firsthand historical work on this man because I respect him. And his wife, Susanna, she was very bright. He adored her beautiful marriage. Their love letters are adorable. And they had twins and then she had a medical procedure go bad. So she spent most of the rest of her life bedridden, hospitalized, sick, incapable of being at his side. And so what he decided was that he was gonna help her and she decided that she was gonna help him. So without telling her, he custom built one of the first handicap accessible, we would call them ADA homes in the history of the world. Low cabinets, so that if and when she was well enough to do some things, everything was at her level. He didn't tell her, he surprised her. And he put her initials on the towels. It was just a beautiful gift he gave her. And he built his study right next to their bedroom 
so that when he was studying and writing, he could open the doors and she would be with him, though bedridden. It was beautiful. And she decided I needed to not only emotionally help my husband through this ministry that is hard for him. He was ripped in the press weekly in London. He was just eviscerated constantly. He was never even allowed to come to preach in America because we rejected him. And so what happens is she creates something called Mrs. Spurgeon's Book Fund. From her bed alongside of her husband, she gives away 200,000 copies of her husband's books to poor pastors around the world so that they could learn to teach the Bible like her husband. So they're a loving, beautiful couple. He would sometimes in the winters need to go to the south of France because the weather really ruined his health. And I think he had seasonal affective disorder as well. And she couldn't travel with him because of her health. So he hired a photographer and he would write her a letter almost every day, take a photo and send it all the way back to London. They, even though they were both sickly and had complications and issues, they both figured out how to serve one another. They learned how to care for one another. They learned how to help one another. How about this gift, administration. If some of you are thinking to yourself, I don't think he's gonna make his timeline that was allotted for this sermon. You have the gift of administration. <clears throat> and I don't believe in it. So I'll just be done when I'm done. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Administration is, the, is giving direction and making decisions on behalf of others that result in efficient operation and accomplishment of goals. It often includes the ability to organize people, things, information, finances, etc. And here's the life verse of the administrator. Things are done in a fitting and orderly way. You are the button it up people. You tuck your shirt in. You're those people, okay? You are the people who like things in order. You like schedules, you like budgets, you like plans, you like policies. You like to have efficiency and stewardship. Jesus' ministry includes this. He picks an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, then 12 disciples. Then he has a group of 70 that he sends out two by two, groups upwards of 120. He architects and organizes his ministry by levels of leadership. Today, Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning from heaven. He died and he rose, he's alive and well. He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he is literally administrating all of human history. He's bringing every prophetic detail and promise of his word to pass so that he will return to fulfill everything that he planned in advance to do. Do you have this gift? When you read the Bible, do you gravitate toward people like Joseph or Nehemiah? Sometimes the people in the Bible that we gravitate toward, it's because they're people like us. They have our gifts. Do you gravitate toward the books of the Bible that are about building something, architecting something, organize something, increasing efficiency? If you've read the book of Numbers, you probably have the gift of administration. <clears throat> When things are poorly organized, you're like, we need to fix this. And then you wanna help fix it. When, it's, when things are chaotic or a mess, does that bother you? But you wanna step in and bring order and, and, uh, and, and make things designed in such a way that they're most effective. Do you like seeing maximum return on investment? Money, people, energy, you're like, if we're gonna do something, let's get the most out of it. Are you a person who has a high risk radar and looks at the downside? This is the downside of those who have the, uh, the gift of administration. Sometimes you could say, well, that's risky. Everything in life has risk. And what happens is sometimes the person with the gift of administration and the person with the gift of leadership, they have conflict. Because the leader's like, we need to take a risk. And the administrator's like, we, we shouldn't take risks. And it's that tension that makes us better. But what can happen is with the shadow side of the gift, if you don't trust leadership, you can become very controlling. You will control information, financial flow, or policy. Some of you work in companies where the administrators have overtaken the leaders, and as a result, you can't do your job because there's too much policy and there's not enough risk. And so what can happen is sometimes too, with people with the gift of administration, they get so fixated on a detail, they lose sight of the entire mission. Okay? And so this is where sometimes there can be tension between gifts like leadership and administration, but they work best together. Do you have this gift? Do you, um, do you naturally organize your life, your schedule, your finances? Or are you just a person who's put together? How many of you have got multiple kids? One's got the gift of administration, the other doesn't. And you could totally tell by just walking in their room. <laughs> One is like, oh my gosh, when were, 
Why didn't you call 911 when we were robbed? The whole place is just ransacked. They're like, no, I live here. They're like, you're, you're a hoarder. Like what the? Then you go into the other kid's room and they've got their, their clothes alphabetized by color, you know? And they've got their outfits laid out from third grade to retirement. You're like, that's amazing, all right? The different, these are just the ways that we are. How many of you right now, if I went into your car, this is what I'm thinking about. You could tell a gift administration by going in someone's car. If you go into someone's car, you're like, are you moving? <laughs> no, I just keep a lot of stuff here in case I need it. Snacks, tools, jumper cables. You know, there's just, there's stuff here. Extra underwear, you're like, you know, fruit snacks. You just never know. You just, you just, you know, that's not the gift of administration. You go into somebody's car and everything's clean and it's vacuumed and they've got, the, they've got everything organized and even their, their, their storage compartment is, is all put, you're like, wow, gift of administration or OCD or high control freak or, or serial killer. I mean, there's just options. So, so let, me give you another, let me give you another historical example. Um, you ever heard of St. Patrick? Here's a little thing. Was he Irish? No. Uh, was he a saint? No, huh? Okay, you don't have the gift of discernment. He wasn't Irish and he, uh, he's not a saint. The Catholics never canonized him as a saint. He was actually uh, from Great Britain. So around the age of 16, Irish pirates, these are my people, by the way, just now, now I'm just gonna come out of the closet and tell you, literally my ancestors literally are Irish pirates. We were the O'Driscolls. Like I got a patch and a pirate, like I got the whole thing. We were, uh, we were, we were pirates. So the, pirate, the Irish pirates kidnapped him, made him a slave. So for I think maybe a couple of decades, he is far away from home. He is isolated. He's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he's in danger. And so guess what? He starts talking to God. His grandpa was a pastor. His dad was a believer. He was a prodigal kid, gave his life to the Lord out in the middle of the field, totally abandoned as a slave. And then one day God gives him a prophetic dream and vision. It says, time for you to go home and here's where you're gonna go. So God shows him in the vision how to escape slavery, make it through all the checkpoints, walk 200 miles to a boat, it will take him home. He does, it works, he gets there. He's got no money for passage. So he prays, he's like, God, you brought me this far, what now? God sends a herd of pigs running out of the woods to St. Patrick. And then he gives them to the, uh, the vessel owner to pay for his voyage home. He, I mean, crazy story. He gets home and he goes to seminary and he commits his life to ministry. And then God says, you know what? Now that you're ready, you're gonna go back to the Celtic Irish people that enslaved you. How many of you be like, nah, <laughs> nah. You're gonna have to do a Jonah. You find a fish to get me there and we'll talk about it, right? So he goes. Now the problem with the Irish people, there was no national government. There, there was no national law. It was 150 warring clans and tribes that just attacked and robbed each other. It was total anarchy. Just complete Portland. It was nonsense, okay? Those with the gift of discernment could decide whether that was over the line. But if you're in Portland, you know it's true. So nonetheless, what happens is he goes back and not only does he preach and teach and lead people to Christ, he finds a way to finally, for the first time, evangelize these crazy people. And he sets up church planning and Bible teaching seminaries and educational systems all over. I've been there with my dad. We've been to some of the ancient ruins that he founded and God used him to reach people that nobody else was gonna figure out how to reach. Uh, here's the next one, the gift of giving. Romans 12, eight, giving is the ability to give money and other forms of wealth joyfully, wisely and generously to meet the needs of others and help support ministry. Jesus, he teaches about 25% of the time on stewardship and generosity and giving. Uh, in addition, Jesus pays his taxes to the government. He pays his tithe to God. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Jesus' whole life is giving. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible says that it's more blessed to give than receive. The blessing is not that we give to get, but in giving, we get a blessing because giving is a blessing. Our God is a giver, he is not a taker. Do you have this gift? Do you see the needs of others and like to meet them? Are you, are you looking for places that you could help and you could give? 
Here's a car, here's a job, here's money. You wanna go on vacation? I got a vacation house, here's the keys. Oh, you just had a baby? Well, we've got all of our baby clothes that our kids just, you're always like, what can I do? My wife has this gift. We first got married. I looked under the bed, it was filled with presents. They're like, we're broke. We're brokeity broke, college broke. I'm like, well, what are we doing? She's like, well, we need presents. I was like, actually we don't. Uh, you know, I've never given a present. I got saved and then God gave me the spiritual gift of giving, but she had it since she was a little girl. She's like, well, I've got gifts here for babies and gifts here for moms and gifts here for newly married people. And she said, that way, if somebody comes over, I just wanna make sure we give them a gift. I don't know if anybody's ever left my house without getting something. <laughs> she just gives, that's just what she likes to do. So we had to put that in our budget. So this is where sometimes your spiritual gifts, you gotta consider one another. How many of you, this sounds like you, you see God is owning everything and you as the manager. So you're like, it doesn't bother me to give it away. It's his anyways. I don't, you know, it's his. So what, what do I care? If he wants me to give it to them, I'm glad to do so. When you get something, a home, a car, a vacation spot, is your first instinct is who can we share this with? How about this? Do you live with a deep, deep sense of awe? Like God has been so generous to me. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful. And do you look for opportunities to give when no one else is asking? It's like, I just like to give and help. So the downside of this gift, the shadow side is, again, like the people who have the gift of helps or service, you need to learn what word? No. And sometimes you'll be a generous person, but not a good steward. So there's two sides of the same coin. You'd be a good steward, so you could be generous. If you're just generous, you could be giving money to the wrong people and things. So you wanna be a good steward, asking God where you want, where he wants you to put his money, okay? Um, my wife, Grace, has this gift very, very strongly. And I, I got it as a Christian and I grew in it over time. And I believe this is a gift that God has put on our, um, on our family. We love to give. It's, it's something that we got to raise the kids to look for opportunities and needs. You know, we've, we've just really been blessed of God to give. Um, I was gonna share some details, but I just don't think I will. I just will say, I just wanna publicly thank the Lord for all the times that we were able to give upwards of 100% of our income as our annual tithe. That's what we've been able to do at various points in our life. And God has supernaturally provided for us. And Grace grew up seeing God provide and I, it was new to me, but now I've seen the same thing. If you have the gift of giving, you just say, it belongs to the Lord. He gives it to me and I'm gonna give it away and whatever he's got next, I'm ready to go. There is a man named R.G. Letourneau. He was a, su a successful businessman who created his own line of earth moving equipment, 300 inventions, hundreds of patents. Every year as a Christian, his goal was, I wanna give more than I did the year before in terms of percentage. So for him, 10% tithe was not a ceiling, but a floor. It's not a place to end, it's a place to begin. Eventually, he got to the point of reverse tithing. He kept 10%, gave 90% away. And what he said was, he said, uh, I shovel out the money and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. <laughs> and Jesus says, if you're faithful with little, I can trust you with much in the context of his finances. Those of you with the gift of giving, you're, some of the richest people I know are some of the most generous people I know. And so I hate it in our culture when it's like, well, rich people are bad. Well, maybe they were good stewards and maybe they're generous. And so maybe God has blessed them because they're gonna do with the money what he would have them to do. I don't care how much you make, I care what you do with it. And so does God. Last gift is faith. First Corinthians 12, nine, this is one of my wife's gifts, which is why she married me. So um, faith is the ability to envision what needs to be done and to trust God to accomplish it, even though it seems impossible to most. You faith people, you're just like, God can do anything. I've seen him show up. And if somebody says, oh, I don't think so, you start telling stories. You're like, well, he created the heavens and the earth. He parted the Red Sea. He took down the walls of Jericho. I mean, you're just, you're rolling, man. You're gonna start in the Old Testament. You're not gonna, done, you're not gonna finish until they agree with you. Like, and, and then you're gonna tell your own stories. Well, I, my grandma, she had cancer. We pray, she's fine. You wanna call her and ask her if God's real? I mean, you're just, you're, you're like, now we're tagging cancer granny in. Like, what the heck? You know, like, I can't win. You're the people who just, you know what? God can do it. You know how you have the gift of faith? You sleep. Okay? Yeah. See, my wife has a gift of faith. I struggled with it. 
So for years, here, here, here's, here, here's what's going on in the Judas class. I'm up and I'm like, oh, oh, here's Grace. <laughs> Gift of faith right there. Wake up in the morning, she'd be like, how'd you sleep? I'm like, I didn't. She's like, I slept fine. I was like, why? She's like, God's in control. I was like, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> at some point, you've got to grow in your faith to trust God. Jesus' whole life was one of faith. Romans says, if it doesn't proceed from faith, it's sin. Everything he did proceeded from faith. His mom and his dad, big faith. God shows up. Hey, Mary, you're a virgin. You're going to give birth to the son of God. Uh, your fiance is going to hang in there. Uh, don't worry. Everybody's going to hate you, uh, but it'll be all right. She's like, cool. Huh? I'm 14. Go to Joseph. Hey, your girl's pregnant. I'm like, uh, she's a virgin. Yep. Huh? Trust me. We got this. He's, Joseph's like, I'm in. That's faith. When you're two teenage kids in a small rural town and one's pregnant and you haven't slept together and you're supposed to be married, even if you didn't have health class, you're like, I think I know how this works, you know? But they both trusted that God would do what God said he would do. Do you have this gift? Do you view obstacles as opportunities to trust God for the impossible? People with the gift of faith, you're like, okay, I got bad news. They're like, awesome. That means God's gonna show up bigger than ever. You're like, what the? <laughs> you are the faith people. Do you find yourself telling stories about what God has done? People are struggling, they're like, oh, let me tell you some stories. Woo, I got some, you, you'll be fine. You're, you're depressed now. When I'm done, we're gonna collect the offering. This is gonna be real good. I'm gonna tell you how God has shown up. Do you find others coming to you for hope when they're struggling? People are like, I'm dying, I'm devastated. Can I talk to you? Because sometimes when you don't have faith, you need to borrow somebody else's. Do you have an effective prayer ministry? Like, I just ask God for stuff and he shows up. Now, here's the shadow side. If you have the gift of faith, don't use that as an excuse to be irresponsible. Since so you're like, I don't need to go to work. I just trust the Lord. Well, the Lord said to go to work. <laughs> there are things that God assigns to us as our responsibilities and faith is not irresponsibility. It's walking in those responsibilities, trusting God to be faithful to his promise to those who are obedient. Give you one historical example. George Mueller, he said, God delights to increase the faith of his children. He was a man of faith and he lived by prayer. Charles Dickens' book, Oliver Twist, motivated him to open the United Kingdom's first orphanage for orphan boys and girls. He's a Christian. He began without any finances and he never once asked for money. His first orphanage, he started with 30 kids. And sometimes he would get the kids together for dinner and they'd all be sitting there and they'd be like, what's for dinner? He'd be like, I don't know, we don't have any food or money. Okay, what do we do? We're gonna pray and then we'll see God provide. And there are innumerable stories. If you look at the life of George Mueller, where he is sitting at the table with orphan boys and girls, they're praying, guess what? Somebody knocks on the door, has dinner. Say like, yeah, God spoke to me, said to bring dinner. Of course, these kids met Jesus and learned about faith because they live by faith. See, we pray, uh, provide us our daily bread, but we don't really believe that because it's already in the pantry. They literally were praying for their daily bread. And by the time he was done, he cared for 10,000 orphans, printed Bibles and books, supported 130 missionaries, opened a Bible college, taught on faith in over 30 nations and died totally poor, kept nothing for himself, gave it all away. Gift of faith. Let me just ask this in closing. What sounds like you? Does any of this sound like you? These are the serving gifts. Next week, we'll deal with the speaking gifts. How about uh, your spouse, your friends, your kid, your kids, your grandkids, your friends? Is anybody coming to mind? Is the Holy Spirit bringing anybody to mind? Can you encourage them this week and say, you know what? I was thinking about this and it reminded me of you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for an opportunity to teach and have a little bit of fun. And uh, Lord God, I thank you that there's joy and freedom in the Spirit. And God, when we think about how wonderful it is that you give us gifts, uh, God, I just wanna pause and say thank you that you're a God who serves, that Lord Jesus, you look down at humanity and our rebellion and our folly and our death, and you decided, I'm gonna go down there and serve those people and help them. And then you lived without sin and you died and you rose and you conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, and wrath, and you ascended into heaven and you're still serving. 
You're sending the Holy Spirit. You're giving us gifts. You're giving our life meaning, value, and purpose. You're preparing a place for us. And Lord Jesus, all of eternity will be served by you. We'll be living in the kingdom that you create. We'll be eating the food that you provide. We'll be living in the homes that you build. That everything will be a gift from you and that everything will be to your glory and for our good and that everything will be an example of how you serve us. We bring nothing into the kingdom, but we have everything because you serve us so faithfully. And God, I pray for these dear saints in the room and online that they would just get to figure out who they are and what you have them to do so they could be part of what you're doing until you return. We ask for this grace in Jesus' good name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com slash donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.